This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Sorry for the late introduction. We had a little bit of a signal issue between us and the studio, but welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Whatever's on your heart and mind, we'll do the best that we can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, at six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and using the hands-free feature on your telephone. Um, You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Because it's Tuesday, we don't have a whole bunch to talk about, so let me get right to some questions that have been sent in. Our first one is from our email inbox from Nacho. He says, how did Jacob know to put fresh-cut branches from certain trees to make the flocks streaked, speckled, or spotted. And his reference is Genesis chapter 30, verses 37 through 39. Um, let's talk about that for a moment, and then we'll get to, uh, I'll get to an answer. Um, first and foremost, um, probably these were superstitions of the culture, um, there's been so much speculation about how and why Jacob's plan worked. You know, did it work because even the mind of a lamb has the power to influence genetics? And I say that with tongue-in-cheek, and yet there are positive-thinking people out there who think, well, yeah, that's what it was. Um, it wasn't some sort of magical mating stimulus um, in the branches or in the water. Um, the the plan didn't work because Jacob knew some animals are stronger than others, and he was just making sure that that's where he was placing the branches. Uh, I'm not a member of Forage Club, so I don't know anything about animal husbandry. But what we do know is that this was something that God did. Now, here's how we know it. Go forward to Genesis chapter 31, beginning in verse 10. Jacob describes, he says, in breeding season... 
I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Now remember earlier that Jacob had an experience with God at Bethel. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So Jacob's plan worked. There was no magic. Jacob's plan worked because it was God's plan. You know, we think about how this affects us. Uh, I can tell you firsthand that, that God has given me a whole bunch of plans in the 24 and a half years that we've been here. And I can't remember one of them that made sense. But what we have to remember, and these are matters of faith, God's plans always work. Even if they don't make sense, they always work. I imagine that Jacob was a little confused by the dream. I had a question just the other day about dreams, at the end of last week, about dreams. And dreams are confusing. Jacob didn't know anything about breeding. But he knew what he heard from God in this dream. And this was God simply saying, you've been treated unfairly, I've been watching, and now here's my plan to get you out. And one more time, the real value of this for us is that when you find yourself in the middle of a really difficult or unfair situation, sometimes it may seem like an impossible situation. God has a plan to get you out. And our job as believers is simply to find that plan, and when we find that plan, it's going to work. And Jacob's plan didn't work instantly. It wasn't a one-day delivery process. But God was waiting for the right time to give Jacob this dream. And when he gave him the dream, told him to go and leave this place at once, it was time for Jacob to head out on his own. So no magic there at all. There's lots of silly plans in Scripture. And they're silly because at least it's how they sound to us. But believe me, there's no silly plan uh, if it's really God's plan. The only silly thing is not being obedient. So um, I hope that helps. But somebody call in to the radio station just a couple of moments ago, anonymously, didn't want to go on the air, but he said, how can I become closer to God personally? Uh, anonymous, this is one of the most important questions that you'll ever ask. The way you get closer to God is to spend time with Him. Now, there's a couple of ways that we spend time with the Lord. One is through prayer. And I know probably as it sounds like you're a fairly new believer, but, but prayer doesn't need to be awkward. Just take Jesus with you everywhere you go. I say it all the time, just be with Jesus. When you're walking, when you're driving in your car, Jesus is there. Talk to Him. Just talk to him. He's a stranger to you. He's a savior. He's glorious. But you got to get to know him. Pour out your heart to him. He knows everything about you, and you know nothing about him. So just spend time with him. And when you're with Jesus, you're not going to be involved in sinful things. It's that simple. You know, we leave Jesus behind. We get angry. We lose our temper. We say bad things. We do things that we know we're not supposed to do. And we chase him away. 
But if you're with him and it changes the way you behave, then he's always going to be there. And the more time you spend with him, the better you're going to know him. Now, the other way, and this just this requires time. It requires investment. you got to get to know who he is, and you only can do that in his word, in the Bible. There is no shortcut. There's absolutely no shortcut, Anonymous. You have to spend time getting to know him. Open his word. Read it systematically. Um, I would suggest having a, a book in the Old Testament and a book in the New Testament going on at the same time and read a little bit every day and expect that God's going to speak to your heart, that God's going to start revealing his nature and his character to you. And then, Anonymous, you can't miss getting closer to God personally. I also want you to know this is the one thing he wants more than anything else, he wants your relationship to be intimate with him. He wants to share his voice with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to learn to trust him no matter the circumstances, no matter how you feel. He wants you to know that he's there. In Hebrews eleven six, this is the third way, says without faith it's impossible to please God. So that means in order to please him, we've got to trust him. And that's what a walk by faith is all about. It's really important, Anonymous, that you pursue this, and there is no shortcut. And I got saved a little more than 28 years ago now. I needed, and I mean needed, I was my life was an absolute mess. I needed to be with him every minute of every day. And there just wasn't anywhere I wanted to be without him. And that changed everything. And the great thing is I know, like, I feel like I know him so well, but the closer I get to him, I'm learning new things all the time too. That's the kind of relationship that he wants with you. So that's the way you can become closer to God personally. Uh, I appreciate your call. I'd love you to check in with us from time to time and tell us how you're doing. But it's not going to be something that happens simple. You're investing in a relationship. One more comment. I, I like to use human relationships. You know, when I met Paula for the very first time, and, and seriously, we fell in love instantly. She opened the door and we were in love. But I didn't, I wasn't comfortable at all talking to her because I, I didn't know her and she didn't know me. So there was a lot of childish, immature, silly talk but it's because we didn't have anything deep to replace it with. And the more time we spend together and the more we sort of got through those awkward conversations, the easier the conversations became. And now 49 years later, uh, she's my best friend. Jesus wants to be your best friend. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, Jimmy from the West Side called in the studio as well. Uh, he says, I'm having issues with my son and girlfriend wanting to live together without being married. Uh, Jimmy, as long as it's not in your house, there really isn't anything you can do about it. If they're of, of an age where they can are make you? that kind of... Oh, Jimmy, are you're you there? there. Okay. Yes, Jimmy, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought I well, thought you it, called it, in it, and left a message. No, no. Um, I, I, yeah, I did. But, uh, no, yeah, that, I'm going to a storm, and about a month ago, uh, his girlfriend asked my wife, if they could move in by November into our house because she wanted to pay off her car. 
And then now, it was so strange, a week after that, she got into a car accident, totaled her car, and the insurance paid it off, and then they bought another car. So anyway, I was going to tell you, my wife says, well, she wants to help my son, right? And I didn't answer. I didn't say nothing. I was just staying quiet. And then, and then I came out, and I came out later on. I said, look, in order for you and Christian to live into my, and live, move into my house, this is my house. And I am ruler of this house. Uh, you, you and him are going to have to get married because you are not going to share the same bed under the roof of my house. This is a Christian home, and you're not going to share the same bed. And they don't want to get married. So I said, "Well, then you know what?" And then my wife said, "Well, Jaime, you're putting them into a, you're putting them in a lot of pressure." I said, "No, it's simple. Go to the courthouse, get a marriage certificate." Get married under the church. The church is not going to charge you anything. But you're not going to, they're not going to live in my house. And if you allow it, Martha, I'm not going to be involved with it. Because I'm going to stand what the word of God says. And that's it. And the end of story. So how did it turn and out? I pray for them. Well, they, she doesn't, well, his girlfriend doesn't well, I want to hear nothing about the Bible. She's not wearing another scripture. She's not wearing nothing. And, and, I, and I know it's putting a lot of pressure on my son. But you know what? You know, Christian, you're going to have to take a stand one way or another. Yeah, and Jimmy, you know what? Go honestly, Jimmy. They're not. You're. They're not. You're not putting pressure on your son. He's. They're putting pressure on you. Well, I'm. Yeah. I have strength. I have more strength than I ever know before because yeah. the Holy Spirit is telling me to tell him this. Yep. I have I have this strength that I cannot imagine what it is, but I'm telling them with boldness. Yeah, and that's the way it needs to be. You know, Jimmy, isn't it interesting that uh, uh, they want to come to your house, they don't want to pay rent, uh, they, they want to save some money, uh, and yet they don't want to hear about the Bible. Um, it, it, it just Life doesn't work that way. There's responsibilities, and if they don't want to do what you say then obviously they've got to go find someplace else to live, and and uh, your stand is what God will use to, to convict their hearts. But I'll be praying for and, you guys, Jimmy. You, you and, and your it, wife and have it, to be on the same page on this. It, it's, no, she's not on the same page. And I'm going to tell yeah. you, the other thing is, it, her grandchildren, well, our grandchildren, whatever, that, you see, he has a child with her. You know, they're, they're one of them, the older one, he's, like, confused. He says... And I, I was telling him the book of Genesis, you know, how Adam and Eve was creating. He says, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm uh, uh, gay or not. Because he, she, she has two, two, two uh, sisters who are married and of the same sex. And I'm trying to say, no, Adam and Eve created, or created the man and woman. But she don't like me to tell him that. But I'm telling him the truth. I'm just telling you this. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. We will be praying. You know, this is one of those things uh, for for the listeners in the audience. This is one of those areas that is so abused in our culture. And we get the, well, where else are they going to go and all of that stuff. And and the truth of the matter is that, that God loves them more than we do. And, and when grandchildren are involved, God loves them more than we do. And we've got to leave them in his hands. We can't put our kids in 
in our own hands, when we end up compromising, then the the, the veracity of our faith uh, is is called into question, and they realize that uh, we really don't believe what we say. And uh, probably as a pastor, and I've had to give this counsel hundreds of times, and I mean that literally hundreds of times over the 24-plus years here, um, uh, it sounds so harsh, and the world wants us to be so accepting and accommodating, but the kids never get saved on their terms. And as long as they can depend on mom and dad, they don't have to turn to Jesus. And that's what we want for our kids. And unfortunately, there's just too many uh, parents, uh, moms and dads, not just, not just the moms, but moms and dads who are willing to compromise instead of, uh, instead of be, being loyal to and faithful to Jesus. So, We'll be praying, Jimmy. We want everybody to get saved. 340-9585. Here's a question from Hank. He said, I recently saw a story about people that we thought were real, but who were probably not. Jesus was one of them. Does something like this shake your faith? Hank, no. You know, the, the existence of Jesus as a real historical person is undeniable. Um, you know, you can turn on PBS and get those the historical Jesus. Was he true? Was it real? Um, uh, no, none of that shakes my faith because we know beyond any doubt. We have more evidence that Jesus lived than we have that William Shakespeare lived. We have more evidence that Jesus lived than we, we have even that our first president, George Washington, lived. And nobody doubts that they were real historical people. And yet, just because it's Jesus, and because he's God, and because he says, you've got to come to me on my terms, um, people don't want to hear about it. So, no, nothing shakes my faith. And those stories, you've got to understand that if you filter everything, Hank, through the, the lens of your Bible, then nobody can shake you. You know, when we turn on a science show, and they talk about the, the earth is millions or billions of years old, um, we can say, no, no, that's not true. That's simply not true. We had a question uh, late last week about climate change. Uh, when we turn on TV and we're constantly bombarded with this this chaos, uh, this insanity about the Earth only having 11 years left. We have to do something now or it's going to be too late. If we know our Bibles, we don't have to worry about that because we know it's not true. So hang nothing like that shakes my faith. Nor should anything like that shake your faith. You have to know what you know, and once it's true, then you know it's true, and anything that contradicts with that is not true. So don't let unbelievers who are trying to explain Jesus away shake your faith at all, Hank. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Tanya from San Leandro. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, Papa Ron. I'm good. How are you? Good. It's good to hear your voice. Paula told me that you texted yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I got a thousand questions after that. So my question began with this because I have a friend of mine that is a Jordanian, and mm-hmm. we happened to be talking about, you know, land and all this, and she was talking about the Israelis coming in and, and, and taking their stuff. And it started thinking about where, I, I believe in Genesis, it says where God told Abraham what the land, where, you know, where, how far they could go and where they could go. 
Um, mm-hmm. Is Jordan included in that land? Because I didn't want to speak, you know, like a fool and not know. But is that because even now I'm starting to see a lot of um, folks like Palestinians, um, like when we go out to like markets, there's a lot of um, anti-Israel sentiment. <laughs> and and, and I, I really want to understand like geographically, well, it's their land, not yours, but I don't want to speak out of uh <laughs> You know, out of turn. Does that make sense, Papa Ron? Like, yeah, it, I, yeah, I'm, it really does, Tanya. I'm laughing, not laughing at you. I'm just laughing because I get the same kind of thing all the time. Well, you know, the Palestinians have to have their own homeland. And, and you know, the, the, the Palestinians are only there because nobody else wanted them. And, and that's not their land. And, yes, Jordan is part of the land that was promised to Abraham. Now, remember, all of that land and all of that inheritance won't be realized until the Millennial Kingdom. But, but what we've got to understand is the land belongs to God. He gave it to Abraham via a promise, an unbreakable, unconditional covenant. And Jesus, of course, is going to uh, inherit all of that land, and that's where we're going to be during the millennial reign of, of Christ on earth. In the meantime, the only, only king that ever got the land, at least most of the land that God uh, wanted for them, was uh, was King David, and even he stopped short of of the inheritance. Uh, but but the land, uh, in fact, Petra, the the rock city of Jordan, is going to be the place where the Jews are going to be preserved through the Great Tribulation. It's a natural um, um, security force. It's just uh, nobody coming. You know, a soldier can come in, but only one at a time, and it, it'd be the most easy and natural place to defend. But yeah, the whole land of Jordan, Israel is probably, when Jesus lived, was probably 90 miles um, long. He probably didn't travel through even all of that. And yet, the land that God has promised him extends not only into Jordan, but into Syria, uh, into Iraq, uh, and, and other places. So all of that is going to be uh, belong to, uh, to Israel with Jesus ruling and reigning from the throne of David. But don't let, you know, the, the anti-Israel sentiment is, is um, all the media. Uh, the media hates Israel. The devil hates Israel, and, and that's why. Uh, and, and so um, I just read something today. Netanyahu is threatening to, to uh, um, bring into, into uh, Israel's control uh, more and more of the West Bank, which is going to cause some real, real problems uh, over there. But, um, yeah, uh, the land that was given to the Jews, nobody has a right to bargain it away or to negotiate away. And that's exactly what's been done for, for our lifetime. Since the Jews went back in 1948, uh, they've been bargaining away the land that God gave them uh, over and over and over. Does that help at all? It does. I, I, said, I, I, I was fairly certain that Jordan was in that, and I knew that we that it hasn't been realized it won't be realized till later that whole land area, but I just I, I knew something was off when when they said, well, you know, they, they they come in and they take our stuff, and I was thinking to myself, well, it's their land. God gave them that land, <laughs> and so it, I, I was, you know, and then I was texting Mama Paula last night. I was like, is it, you know, do, is there a map of what I can see what is today? Because I I knew it was some of Syria. I, I just wasn't certain what the present day land mass it, what that area is. And that's what my well, yeah, the, pre- the, the present-day landmass is is minimal. Uh, it's it's such a small strip of ground, 
and uh, now it's an occupied ground, but but Israel's not the occupier, the Palestinians are. Now, to be fair, there were, were Arabs living there when Israel was given the land back in 1948, and one of the reasons that nobody, including Jordan, and Jordan is, is we've had a pretty good relationship with Jordan as a nation uh, for since 1948, actually, um, but... but but Jordan doesn't want the Palestinians. That's why they, they, they were sent there. And the land is called Palestine. Um, um, you know, uh, the, it's, it's a land that, that the Philistines occupied. Uh, but, but when God sent Israel back and gave it back to them in 1948, all the problems in the war has been uh, because uh, the, the neighbors around them don't want them there. You've got Syria, you've got Lebanon, Jordan, portions of Iraq. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt, and and obviously that's not going to go over very well now. But uh, that's the land that Jesus is going to rule and reign. So, thank you, okay, Tony. Appreciate it very, very much. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, hey, love you guys. God bless you. Thank you. Love Bye. you too. I miss her. She was in our church for such a long time, and um, Lord, had, oh, I meant to ask her how Marcus is doing. Son uh, goes to Cal Berkeley, uh, but we we miss her a lot. Hey, we've got. 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron, and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to... Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have them. Uh, Let's get right back to the question that was just sent in to our studio. Uh, it was, where do you get information on Petra? I don't know if you have a Nelson's or Unger's Bible dictionary. If you've got a computer program, I'm sure that you do. Uh, it is found in, um, in the Old Testament. It's called Selah, S-E-L-A. Uh, it's south of the Dead Sea. And um, you can find it in First, Second Kings chapter 14 and Judges chapter 1. Um, there's been spectacular archaeological ruins that have been found. Um, it is, it is a, a, a place, as I said, um, where the Jews will be preserved during the Great Tribulation when, when um, they refused, when Jews refused to bow down and worship the abomination that caused the desolation, uh, and the Antichrist will send their, his troops after him. Uh, God's going to preserve them. Uh, the Bible and the prophecies talk about was on wings of eagles. That's because nobody can get in there. One person at a time. I mean, the, the soldiers trying to pursue We have to go in really literally in single file. And, of course, anybody then could um, could, could, could defend it. Uh, so there's no problems. But um, 
there's lots of information about it. Uh, you can you can if you don't have a, a computer program, Bible computer program, um, Google Stela or Petra, and it will get you the information that you need. Good question. Here is a question from William. He says, Pastor, do you believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today? William, yes, they are for today. Uh, And the reason that they are um, uh, still for today is because the Bible never says they're not. Now, there are some miracles and sign gifts that are not for today. I'll give you an example. Um, The entrance of the Holy Spirit onto the earth, the birth of the church. We call it Pentecost. Um, uh, That's an experience that's never going to be repeated again. That's a, the Holy Spirit knows how to make an entrance, and that's exactly what he did. Um, some of the miracles that were done in the Bible were validating miracles. Uh, Jesus did miracles that pointed him out as the Christ to come. Uh, the apostles uh, were given the power to do miracles to validate their calling and their ministry as apostles to differentiate them from, from false apostles and, and false teachers. Um, but but those are sign gifts. The sign, remember, always points to something. And and those signs point to Jesus or point to the validity of the message. But the gifts of the Spirit is given to us in uh, Ephesians, is given to us in 1 Corinthians, is given to us in, in Romans. Uh, those gifts still function in the church today. Uh, everybody has at least one gift, according to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And those gifts are supposed to be used. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, there's a gift, and, and these are the, the, the less spectacular gifts that nobody likes to talk about. But, but imagine trying to run a church without them. The gift of administration. We have people here with gifts of administration. They can help me administer or to, to manage this church. Uh, gifts of, of helps. Um, uh, people that are just called to be servants. They're serving in the power of the Holy Spirit every bit as much as somebody would be serving in the power of the Holy Spirit if they were doing something more spectacular. Uh, William, when I'm teaching, um, one of the gifts I've been given is the gift of teaching. And when I'm teaching, it is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me. So, yes, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I know there are cessationists. Uh, some of them pretty well known. Uh, and I think, William, that their response to the gifts is simply uh, they get tired of seeing the gifts misused and abused. And when they see the gifts being misused, it's just easier to just say, no, those aren't for today. Uh, and then they, they, they function as a church really in the power of the, of the flesh rather than the power of the spirit. But let me tell you something else, William. Even those teachers, John MacArthur is one. He tells you he's a cessationist. The gifts of the Spirit are not for today. And yet he demonstrates masterfully the gift of teaching. Now, he's wrong on this issue and, and, and a couple of others, but the, the point is the gift is flowing through him, the very gift that he's denying. Now, he would say, well, that's not a gift. That's just what I'm called to do. But if we're not teaching by the power of the Holy Spirit, then there's no value, no benefit at all in what we're doing. So don't let anybody convince you um, um, that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. They are, and there is no biblical validation for making that claim. 
So I hope that helps. Um, George wants to know, if God is not a God of confusion, how do you explain the Tower of Babel? Um, George, you, you know, I hear this a lot. God's not a God of confusion, so if I'm confused, it's the devil. Or or, or if, if, if God's not a God of confusion, then, then uh, I wouldn't be confused about something he's asking me to do. That's to misunderstand altogether what is meant by a God of confusion. First uh, Corinthians 14 is the reference here. Context matters. That's in the confusion. He was correcting, Paul was correcting an out-of-control church in Corinth. And what he was saying is, is the, the way you're functioning in the church, the, 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 the disagreements that you're having, the, the use, the misuse of the gifts of the Spirit, um, uh, that's not God. That's your flesh, or that's the enemy's thing. And the Tower of Babel has nothing whatsoever to do with God confused their languages, and that was a sign of judgment. So to connect those two things makes no sense at all. God was simply saying, look, the, the, the world was trying to make the, the Tower of Babel to the, to the, uh, to the heavens. Um, what they were really doing was they wanted to sin. The worldwide flood was known to everybody, and they were afraid that there'd be another flood. So what they did is they built a tower high enough that they thought they'd be safe if God ever chooses to flood the world again. And God said, look, if this is how evil you are, if you think you can avoid my judgment, I'm going to separate you by virtue of confusing your language. Imagine what that must have been like when nobody can understand anyone and suddenly you find somebody that speaks your language, you understand him and he understands you, and, and you say, well, let's get out of here and go together. And that's exactly what happened, and that's when the gene pool and everything else started to, to, to change, simply because we really narrowed the gene pool. So, uh, um, George, this whole concept that God's not the author of confusion, he's not a God of confusion, uh, we, we, we have to understand the context because the Bible doesn't say that. I've been confused so many times by the things that the Lord has told me to do. Like Jacob, the question that we had to kick the, the show off today. Um, Jacob knew just enough to do what God told him to do, even he was confused. So, um, to, to to extrapolate that God is not a God of confusion to, to the point where we think anything that I'm confused about, that can't be from God, uh, that's the cop-out. That's just... Christians not wanting to be obedient and not wanting to be faithful. Uh, God's confused me a bunch, but he's always vindicated himself with the result. So remember, that context in 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul trying to straighten out an out-of-control church. Thank you, George, for the question. Hope wants to know, is it okay to stay home and watch church services online, especially when you're really tired. Well, let me suggest you doing a Bible study on worship. Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, when when worship is mentioned, something died, an animal died. Um, When we worship, in our culture, it's music, uh, primarily. It shouldn't only be, but, but primarily. It's what we call worship. But remember, there's a sacrifice of praise. 
And so, Hope, if if you don't go to church and be a part of the body just because you're tired, what sacrifice are you making? I miss church on Sunday. You know, I, I, I almost never do. When I was having some heart issues a couple of years ago, I missed more. And, and, and it, I didn't miss very much. But I missed more than I missed in the 26 years or 22 years, rather, prior to that. Uh, and and I just don't miss. And um, I had something going on. I was feeling really bad, and I couldn't make it Sunday. And I sat and watched it online. And you know what? I couldn't. I didn't get to hug one person. I I didn't get to to ask one person if I could pray for him. There wasn't a single person there that I knew they had a need that I might be able to minister to. And if you stay home because you're tired and you think you're serving God, then you, you don't know him at all, Hope. So no, it's not okay to stay home. We're part of a body. Imagine if you got up from a, from bed in the morning and you started to walk and your feet decided they didn't want to go. You'd fall on your face. Well, that's what happens when we're separated from the body. We, we end up alone and isolated uh, I get so frustrated because people, I won't see them for a while, say, man, I haven't seen you. Are you okay? Oh, don't worry, Pastor. I've been watching you every week online. And I love the fact that we have the technology to do that. We actually have huge audiences online for our Sunday services. Our, our Wednesday night services as well in, in Isaiah. Uh, but I always tell them, I, I didn't get to see you. I can't hold a screen up and see you and look in your eyes and see if you're okay. So hope it sounds like you're being convicted. I hope you're being convicted. It's not okay to stay home. When you go to church, you are a servant of the Most High God, and we go to minister both to and with others. And in the process, we get ministered to. I'm sure you've had an experience where you didn't want to go to church, didn't feel like it, but you got there there. Anyway, and you got blessed abundantly. That's what God wants to do. But if you stay home because you're tired, what if Jesus would have stayed home because he was tired? So no hope. It's not okay. Get to church, be a part of the body, and serve. And let God give you the energy and the strength that you need. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is a question from Caleb from our mobile app. What would you tell a person who became a Christian but still struggles with wanting to be transgender? Um, Caleb, what I would tell him or her is that... Um, they're rebelling against the God who made them in his image. Um, this is such a difficult issue because young people especially can find all kinds of support. You know, be true to yourself. God says, no, be true to me. You see, the, the whole issue of life, Caleb, for somebody who's now a Christian is no longer wanting to be what they want, but instead wanting to be what God wants them to be or what God has made them to be. And from a a, a sanctification perspective, 
what God is in the process of, of making them to be. You see, we don't get to do these things. I would say that this is a person who is spending way too much time online, spending way too much time talking to people who thinks he or she deserves to be whatever they want to be. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is um, we got to say no to our flesh. That's what being a Christian is. If somebody told me after I said that to him, well, I don't want to do that. This is what I want to be. I'd say, well, then what makes you think you're a Christian? When you made it, when you walked an altar or, or a, a, an aisle and, and answered an altar call, when you got baptized, what were you doing it for? Was it just for show? Or did you mean it? Because if you mean it, God has a plan for your life, and you have to embrace his plan. And Caleb, this is something that we're going to deal with so much. Because the world approves it. And anything the world approves, anything our government approves, expands exponentially. So here's what you do. You tell this person that the only way they're going to find freedom is to find Jesus and his will for their life. And it begins by accepting you for who you are. You know, the real tragedy here, uh, apart from an eternity in hell, the real tragedy here is that none of these people who are experiencing, um, uh, e- even going to the, to the point of having sex change operations, uh, none of those people find fulfillment. None of those people find happiness. I mean, momentarily, but... They still have that emptiness. And we're telling a discontent generation that this is okay. And, and you know, the, the reason so many of them in their lives is because changing gender didn't change them. And this is an issue we're going to see over and over and over. And by the way, uh, you can pray for us. You know, the ministry, we have multi-medical. It is our free doctor's office. That's a family practice, um, full practice doctor's office. That's absolutely free. Uh, and we get um, a lot of um, homosexuals who come. Uh, they all get prayed for, and they all don't want it. But we just tell them, look, this is the price of doing business here. And um, we're now starting to get... Um, just by word of mouth. Obviously, it's free, so we don't advertise. we got more people coming than we know what to do with. But we're now starting to get a lot of transgender young people. And the pain in their lives is overwhelming. You know, we'll see on a television show a movie star who who is uh, famous and looks like he or she's got it all together. See, you know, I found me. That was... I'm free now to be me. Well, those aren't the people that come to Multimedical. People come to Multimedical are hurting deep inside. And they never find an answer apart from Jesus Christ. So God's given us an opportunity to minister to those who are really hurting, those who are really lost. We love the fact that we're getting the chance with them. But we're always running into stubbornness because no matter what we tell them, the world says, no, it's okay. Okay, Caleb, I hope that helps a little bit. 
Here is a question from Tom. He goes, why is there a hierarchy within the Trinity if all three persons of the Godhead are equal? Is Jesus subject to the Father forever? Uh, Tom, there's a hierarchy within the Trinity, but it's a, it's a, a an agreed-upon um, imperfect unity hierarchy in the Trinity, in the, 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 the Godhead, God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the, the hierarchy is that when Jesus became a man, Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself, he considered equality with God not something to be grasped. He was God, but he let go of that so he could come and be a man. And when he subjected himself to the authority of the Father um, forever, um, that was something that's going to be for, for, for the remainder of time. Now, here's what God the Father did with that subjection. And here's something I think we don't think about when we struggle with these kind of questions. Jesus said, the Father is greater than I. I always and only do what I see my Father do or hear what my, say what I hear my Father say. And yet, with that authority, the Father said, I give all authority to the Son. All power to judge is His. And so that hierarchy is in perfect harmony. And yes, it's going to be forever. The Son is eternally subject to the Father. And yet the Father, in perfect unity with the Son, are one. So there's no real disagreement at all about what to do with authority. It's equally true, Tom, that when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he said the Holy Spirit is going to testify to me. The Holy Spirit doesn't appear on earth and talk about himself. And when we see churches talking about the Holy Spirit this and the Holy Spirit that, the Holy Spirit, when he's really functioning, he speaks only about Jesus. That's his role on earth. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see that there's no problem at all. There's no dissonance. There's no discord. There's no envy or jealousy. These are all human emotions. Well, well, if I'm going to be subject forever, then what's the point? Jesus would never, ever ask that question. So, Tom, yes, Jesus is always subject to the Father, but with that authority, the Father gives it right back to Jesus. Says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Son. I like that. Here's a strange question from Jason. He said, should Christians listen to Ben Shapiro? Um, Jason, yeah, Christians can listen to whatever they want to listen to. Uh, the fact that Ben Shapiro is not a believer, um, I mean, we ought to be careful and discerning. Uh, ben Shapiro, if you don't know the name, is a very conservative, orthodox Jewish um, um, commentator. Uh, very active online, and you'll see him on on uh, television news. He's, he's often um, being interviewed. He seems to be absolutely brilliant. Um, make no mistake, he's very conservative, and he's very Jewish. Um, and yet he's not smart enough to recognize that his Messiah has already come. 
So yeah, listen to him. It, it, it's it's going to be politics. Um, pray for him. Um, but yeah, I don't see there's nothing wrong with what he's going to do. By the way, Jason, I uh, I watched uh, an interview um, on um, Ben uh, Ben Shapiro's uh, podcast. I think that's the right word. I'm not a techie, so I don't listen to stuff. But um, he interviewed Ravi Zacharias, and for an hour, Ravi shared Jesus with him, and it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, if you, if you uh, go to YouTube and put uh, um, Ben Shapiro, Ravi Zacharias, it will come up, and it will be really worth listening to. And see, we've got to love these people enough to share Jesus with them. That's why Paul said, writing to Philemon, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. We're inside three minutes, so this probably will be the last question of the day. Jonathan says, could I have your thoughts on annihilationism? How do people who believe it justify it? Well, they justify it, Jonathan, because they want to. Um, you know, this is a, an emotional subject. You know, there's just too many people. And uh, this this demonstrates their immaturity as believers. This demonstrates uh, their lack of biblical knowledge when it comes to the, the character and the nature of God. Um, but what they want to do, they're so moved and so emotional that they just can't imagine that my loving Jesus would send anybody to hell. And so they have come up with a doctrine that says, well, you know, their punishment is going to be that they're going to cease to be. That's just going to annihilate them and there won't be any eternal torment. The problem with that, of course, is the Bible teaches just the opposite. Now, the way they justify it uh, in terms of an argument is they'll say, well, we believe the consequences are eternal, but not the punishment. The problem is there's no eternal consequence if they're annihilated. I guess the eternal consequence from their perspective made them cease to be. We all are eternal. Jonathan, we're all going to live somewhere forever. And God loves us so much, he gives us a choice. You can live with me forever, or you can live separated from me forever. One we call heaven, one we call hell. But Jesus made it very clear that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a fire, not literal fire, I don't believe, but there's um, um, uh, the worm won't, doesn't die. Um, the torment goes on forever and ever into deepest, darkest blackness. And those are the things that we really have to remember. So it's it's a very emotional and immature view of who we think God should be. We keep trying to make God into our image. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.